Radio Outcast is an uncanny, gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of violence, guns, blood, character death, and implied child abuse that may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. Well, well, well. What do we have here? Last time we saw my sweet Helix, she had her arm linked with that broody cowboy. (sighs) Not even one hour in 1887, and she's already at a human party. Whatever. I've got that annoying Poindexter tracking her for me. What was his name again? Chuck? Chester? Charlie. One of those. For now, all I can do is sit in the heavens, hoping she gets to that tower. Just have to bide my time. (laughs) Well, time I have. And Helix? I'll have her again, too. From outside the property gates, I found it so astonishing how ornate and illuminated the mayor's mansion was as compared to the utter neglect down the road. How the Lone Flats brothel and saloon were constructed of a pitiful patchwork wooden rot while the yellow manor stood bright and wide. After the young cowboy and his mysterious partner made their way into the mansion, I counted nine more couples, nine men and nine women, sally across the mayor's threshold. Now, how would I steal myself into such a gathering without being partnered? (laughs) It is doubtless to me that the mistress anointed me against all others due to my particular talents. That of a shapeshifter. She knew there would be moments like these, moments for risk and subterfuge, and though I am still mystified about my divine mission to locate this woman out of time, I would not fail when... (coughs) I would not fail when there were... I walked around the mansion (coughs) to look for a rear door. (coughs) Thus, I circled the perimeter, and there I located, of course, a servant's back entrance. The door left wide for kitchen steam to escape. 
certainly get me into a mess if you do not cease that incessant ruckus! Naturally, I soon discovered a rigid knob on the side of the Sony machine, which I promptly flicked downward, and the sound burrowed itself. <laughs> Sir, the front entrance is on the other side. Some wispy elderly man wearing a drooped taupe blanche pointed his wooden spoon towards the property's anterior. This was... No doubt, the chef for the mayor's salon. But I, I, I think this is the right place. The back door. I had to shift quickly. The apron-wearing gentleman had many years on him, his eyes wrinkled and piercing, squinting me up and down. No doubt, he had sussed countless phonies across his days. And you are? I'm... Daniel. Daniel? There wasn't a Daniel on the contractor dossier. Oh? I, I was told to come here. You don't look like a servant. Nor my very late comish chef. He pointed the wooden spoon toward my chest. Those are some nice garments for a contract servant. In the West, even chefs keep pistols hidden beneath their aprons. And for what? To shoot the rats with, I could not know. But I needed to string my words carefully. I had successfully carried the interrogation long enough to gather some useful context. But in the end, the oldest trick in the book came to fruition. You let the victim come to their own resolutions. Oh, now I see. You must be the page-turner commission from Albuquerque. The master has talked about employing a music-learning man. If not for this one, that... I wasn't aware he sent along the contract. But now the costuming makes some sense. Come in. It's sweltering. Ha 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 The common man rejects chaos. When left to silence after the suggestion of disorder, he fills the void with comfortable thoughts. This finely dressed man couldn't be a criminal, or a con man, or an agent of death. This man is a page turner, of course. A contractor, he has nothing sinister at work. Sure. You can leave your coat on that rack. The mayor doesn't allow boots on his carpet, so leave those near the door. One of the attendants can provide you some temporary show loafers. And some cleaner socks. That thing in your hand, I really don't know where you could put that. What is that? Uh, oh, oh, this is um, uh, uh, a page reading tool? It's a musical uh, Thing. You mean a metronome? Exactly, sir. It's new. Very new. Hmm. I heard Edison keeps other inventors on double time. Looks like it's true. Anyways, the mayor will act to see it. Carry on into the gallery room down the hall. Remember the show loafers. 
M my appreciation, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the old fool. I trotted along down the hall into the foyer, where I exchanged boots for loafers, and then followed an attendant into the wide-windowed gallery room. As the curtains were drawn, all the partygoers were sweating from the New Mexico sun, and thus the room smelled of nauseating perspiration. I elected to breathe through my mouth. <laughs> Apologies, sir! I must have glanced over you at the front door. Tobacco stains on the bottom lip, a silver ring for each finger, aside from his two bulbous thumbs, which flaunted gold. The only difference between a small-town mayor and any other is that small-town mayors still believe the monocle is en vogue. Mayor Orville Lingood. And you are? <clears throat> Daniel, sure. You are Mr. Daniel? Or is Daniel your Christian name? Is it the, the, um, uh, it's my first name. I, uh, I'm D Daniel Plainview. Mr. Plainview? Hmm. You mustn't be a lone flatsman then. Unless you are another of Miss Marigold's newly initiated. I would be curious to hear she's invited service man under her fold. No, 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 I, I... I lifted the Sony machine to my chest and tapped it, as a child might gesture toward another to escape blame. The page-turner. Mayor Lingood leaned forward into my face, squinting behind his monocle, then surveyed the Sony machine in my arms. He leaned closer, cheek against cheek, and whispered into my ear. My wife must have sent for you. Do understand, my daughter, brilliant as she may be, cannot truthfully read the music. We have whipped the tune into her fingers. Memorized, of course. She's marvelous with her memory, but... All the same. Turn the pages. I was not aware the missus sent for you, but... She knows optics, no doubt. And a page-turner will portray the illusion of musical knowledge. It's important to a robust education. So, Mr. Plainview, please, do make her look musically learned. Mayors such as these? In the American West! Truly, the cowboy days have concluded. Commonwealth pretension has ascended its arms out to the frontier. A shame. Uh, of course, sir. <laughs> That's completely under... Dandable. Ah, there's the entertainment herself. Come, come, darling. A most wretched creature emerged. I had never seen anything so ghastly. Standing at four feet, the mayor's daughter shambled across the gallery with a face painted ivory white, hair curled into a dozen wheaty cyclones, and the gown. The offensive gown, a billowing mass of pink netting. Perhaps her legs were replaced with pegs. She, she walked as if taking her first steps. Hello, my sweet dear. Isn't she a marvel and a wonder, truly? 
Just as Mayor Lingood began ushering me and his alarming daughter toward the grand piano, I spotted across the gallery the barefoot woman and her young cowboy companion. They stood out as an oasis in the desert, speaking with none others, not even amongst themselves. They stared obliquely around the room, the woman perhaps mystified, the man determined. Annabeth, this music man will assist you in your page reading. Understand? You have brought the music sheets with you, yes? The decorated husk of a girl nodded, smirking with the same unfounded arrogance as her father. Then she withdrew a fold of sheets from behind her back. And Mr. Plainview, this machine you gestured toward, it is an instrument for accompaniment? Oh, it's an... it's the metronome for pacing. Ah, I had only seen such things in acoustic form. How exciting. My dear guests, come around for this musical interlude. I introduce you to not only the age of invention, but the age of beauty. Annabeth Lingood, with accompaniment from the electric metronome. In one frame, such is our bright futures. The haughty creature named Annabeth took to her piano stool, and I stood beside her, peeling open the first page of her recital song. Neither of us could read the damned script, so I would make do flipping pages whenever the moment felt right. No doubt she would be playing a slow children's tune, something rudimentary. It would be a simple deception. I set the Sony machine on the piano's lid and flicked its rigid knob. The crowd was awestruck by the machine, the beeping, faces lit as though they had seen a grand illusion. Some looked fearful that technology had progressed beyond their comprehensions. All were enamored, except for two, the terrified little girl on her piano stool and the mysterious woman across the gallery hall. She squinted toward the Sony machine almost knowingly. Yes, a woman out of time indeed. N not a matter. Come now, dear guests. Let us rouse Annabeth to the musical challenge. No doubt our beauty is learned and skilled to such a degree. Come, come. Snuck off as everyone clapped for the mayor's kid. Even Helix looked lost in the fun. She'd had two glasses of wine already, mine and hers. Didn't know if I could trust her to come with me and not bring any more unwanted attention. Pretending to be a rich cattle farmer was bad enough. I'll be back. Really? The show's just getting started. Ugh, fine. Where are we going? You're staying here. Says who? Just please keep an eye out. Stay close to the exits. With everyone gathering together to watch the mayor's girl at the piano, no one paid me any attention. 
didn't run into a soul, not guest or servant, as I did back down the way the mayor brought us in. The rooms on the first floor were all busts. Nothing but guest bedrooms, a study, a library, and some storage rooms. Second floor was a little better. After opening and closing a couple extra doors, found Mrs. Lingood's room. I mean, who else? Four poster bed with red satin pillars. Don't want to think about what goes on in this room with those two. Most importantly, glimmering in all its glory on a marble vanity was her famous emerald necklace. Gotcha. Was a toast step from the jewel when I heard it. Almost thought I'd imagine the sound. But it got louder the more I wondered what it was. First, I thought it could have been a cat. Some stray in the attic. But when I walked over to what I thought was a small closet across the hall, heard it loud and clear. There was a kid in there. Someone other than the mayor's so-called only daughter. Looked at the room with the necklace, then back at the door where the kid's cries was coming from. No choice. Had to go check on her first. Children always come first. It had been a while since I'd heard music. How long was that trial anyways? It's hard to tell time without Emmy's help. Anyways, Jesse said not to wander away from the lounge's exit. I wondered if I should listen to this <laughs> random mortal. He seemed to know what he's doing, but I'd just been punished for lowering my station, and listening to a human's orders is not very godly. <laughs> I figured a couple of steps closer to the piano wouldn't hurt. I wanted to feel the music vibrate against my skin. Also, the metronome looked out of place. Kind of like a Walkman. Even if it wasn't, it didn't belong, just like me. And I hadn't noticed until then, but the house had light bulbs. The 1980s isn't a far shot from the 1880s, but I couldn't remember if that was right or not. Are light bulbs a thing yet? Sometimes I think I should have gone to human college, just for the trivia. Even at a shitty concert, at least I could always turn to the friend I was with to see their reaction and laugh with them. But I don't know who I expected at this mayor's party. Jesse had left, and who else do I know on the mortal plane in 1887? Forget it. The mayor's daughter sucked, by the way. (laughs) She had no rhythm. The party was looking like a complete bust. Some people clapped politely to get her to stop, but the little thing was determined. (laughs) 
The mayor made such a big deal when he presented Annabeth as his only daughter, his pride, the joy of the town, and now he was hiding behind his hand in a corner. <laughs> Usually, if I had my powers, I would have given her a hand, but Emmy's punishment doomed more than just me. Poor girl. I decided to leave the lounge and find Jesse before things got worse. Hello? Je- uh, Mr. Aiton? He wasn't on the first floor, so I went up the stairs. Along the walls were huge photos of the mayor, his wife, and Annabeth. In the center of the upstairs hallway, crouched down with his ear to a door, was Jesse. He looked at me, put a finger to his lips, and waved me over. You hear that? The terrible piano playing? Wait. Had I had my powers, I would have heard it before even getting to the stairs. Once Jesse pointed it out, I couldn't not hear it. I pressed my ear against the door. Sounds like a kid. Door's locked. All of a sudden, Jesse pulled out two thin bits of metal and began picking the lock. He did it quickly and silently. Then he turned the brass knob. What the hell? A human child. She was huddled in a ball crying in a corner, surrounded by big, beautiful paintings that looked straight out of a museum. Fantasies of purple wheat fields and pink sunsets with clouds shaped like horses. Paint stained her palms and arms in a swirl of colors. Her hair tumbled to the ground around her, knotted and clotted with old paint. The left side of her face was a lot smaller than the other half, and the skin around that side of her jaw looked chapped. She looked a bit like Annabeth, but older, like they might be sisters. She was too skinny. She stared at us without making another sound. No more crying. She didn't even scream. She was completely still and wary. Hi. Uh, Are you okay? Hey. What's your name? No, that's alright. Know someone safe we could take you? Maybe she doesn't want to go with us. The girl looked at the door and stood up. As soon as I thought to reach out my hand to help, the girl ran between us and took off down the hallway. Jesse took a step back like he expected this and gestured for me to join him as he followed her. I was suffering my seventh minute of page-turning when, from a staircase across the gallery, emerged a grim 
little girl. She perhaps was not characteristically grim, but her conditions certainly were. The left frame of her jaw was sunken, a formation from birth, no doubt, left wrinkled and reddened, though this was not the cause for any concern. Rather, the apparent sight of malnourishment, the rings of darkness beneath her eyes, and the utter lack of a child's glow. Well, I knew better than to minimize. Before the crowd had ample time to collect themselves, the mysterious woman and her cowboy companion emerged behind the girl. In such a conspiratorial fashion, the both of them glared across the gallery toward the mayor. Who let this creature into my gallery room? The mayor pointed his ringed fingers across the way, turning his head in disgust, as if he could not bear the sight of such a thing, this poor girl. And much of the crowd followed suit, turning their heads the opposite way. Just as the mayor's hand reached its revolted apex, the cowboy took one step closer into the gallery. How'd this child wind up locked upstairs in your home? What? You dare enter my home, wander through private areas as though it were your own, and then invent invent falsehoods to question my integrity? At this point, I wished it were but a mere piece of theater. The temperature within the gallery room spiked, and the crowd soon parted as the terrified girl took steps across the room, an ocean of terribly mistreated hair trailing behind. Annabeth turned from her piano stool and watched the other girl tremble toward Mayor Lingood. It was clear now to me and all observance as we glanced between the two girls that they were not unalike. The cyclones of hair, the two dimpled chins, there was no doubt These were sisters. Now where are my attendants? Someone take this thing away. At the utterance, the head cook emerged to whisk the poor thing from the gallery room, taking her gently by the arm and guiding her from sight. Are you her father? Hello? Jackass, I asked, are you her father? Well, it did seem I found my otherworldly woman... I'd not heard a woman confront a man, especially a man with status and power, in such a way since, well, I suppose never. The mayor's crowd went utterly cold. They stared at each other in what felt like an eternity of silence. You don't deserve her. You don't- I have heard enough from you. You two wretches will see yourselves out of my home. At once. I ordered you to leave! I would take the time for elegant elaboration, but the unfolding was bloody and swift, so I will narrate all the same. The mayor, having taken offense to the strange woman's scolding, revealed his gun and shot a bullet across her left shoulder. A thin shower of blood splattered across nearby guests, and then, 
Not one breath later, the woman's cowboy companion revealed his own sidearm. At an almost ungodly speed, the young man took a shot at the mayor and with fantastic precision took a similar chunk from the mayor's left shoulder. This time, the thin shower of blood sprayed on myself and I held back a retching sensation. And yet again, the poor Sony machine had been struck. It flew from the grand piano and crashed onto the floor. Tune, tune, tune in now for the best music. You remember it as good fun. It is a wonder, after these past few days and weeks, how a bullet has not managed to strike me yet, how I've seen so many fly about, and this poor Sony machine and that poor mysterious woman knelt on the ground, clutching her bleeding wound. After Sony made its strange proclamations about a prime minister and whatnot, the woman looked toward the machine, and then myself, with a curious intensity. Tower? We don't have time. The tower. I need the tower. I All need... Right. All right. The cowboy took the woman by her arm and guided her past the staircase and out the front entrance. All the while, the mayor spat and cursed as he collected himself off the floor. You can discern a capable mayor, I believe, through the loyalty of his citizens. Of course, no one in the gallery room reached for their own guns, nor said a word as the woman and her companion made their escape. Man, by God, chase after them! And someone grab my horse! A few hesitant men made their way toward the front door, while others ran out to collect the mayor's steed. I would not get in the immediate way of a man with a gun, but I couldn't lose track of my target, the mysterious woman. I strode over to collect the Sony machine and made my way swiftly out the mansion, shadowing their trail toward the Mesa. Things went to hell pretty fucking quick after that. Soon as we got out of the house, Helix got out from under my arms and started running to the slope of the Enchanted Mesa. Helix clutched the hurt arm as she kept moving, blood dying the ground redder than usual as we moved. Pushed her up a crop of rocks and pulled her aside long enough to tie my red handkerchief tied around that wound. It's a long climb. Tell me when you need help or you'll slow us down. Got it? Okay. Had to keep an eye out for the mayor's man. A man like that, pigeon liver. Once you injure his pride, he'll come for you until the grave. Better have a plan. They're coming. Tower, I just know it. Soon as one of them was at shooting distance, I fired a bullet, rattled the horses up, got one to rear back and kick off their rider with the first shot. 
three guys followed the mayor. I managed to scare all three off in just three shots. The second shot I aimed at a loose spot in the mesa to drop rocks on them. Got rid of a second rider that way more than halfway up the mesa. third shot I made cut through the reins of the other. The rider panicked and lost control almost immediately. Never shot to kill. Their lives weren't mine to take, but I could get them out of the fight. By the time we reached the top, the only head I saw left was the mayor's. Face as red as a sunset. He was so angry. When I looked back over at Helix, saw that giant black tower sprouting up out of the ground. Was taller than the mayor's mansion. It was a long, straight run once we reached the flat top of the mesa. Keep going. I'm right behind you. Just shoot the motherfucker. We were halfway across the mesa's face when the mayor came up behind us. Couldn't name the kill, but figured I could leave his fate to the gods. Assholes who keep their own kid locked up in rooms. I closed my eyes and let the spirits guide. What are you doing? The ground shook under my feet. The mayor was getting closer. Couldn't see it? I could feel it. I shot blind again. The mayor screamed, but the horse kept running my way. Die, you bastards! It ain't my call to kill. Only for fate to decide, and I'd be nothing but fate's hand. Kept my eyes closed took my final shot, and when I opened my eyes, I saw. I missed. Jesse! (gasps) I felt a sting first. Then I looked down and saw the hole through my chest. Blood spread all across my front. Couldn't breathe. It was like drowning. Next thing I knew, I was on my back, watching the mayor galloping straight for Helix. We were only a couple feet away from the tower. She didn't get what she wanted, and neither did I. I never got my hands around the throats of the bastards who killed my dad. Only thing I managed to do was watch the mayor shoot at her and miss. And then, like magic, a weird-looking bird appeared out of thin air in front of her. It looked like it was made of a glowing blue glass as it flew straight for the horse. It opened its beak, and louder than the sound of bullets, it cried out. panicked and kicked about, Maya held on, but the bird kept following him around, crying, growing louder and louder, till the mayor finally lost his hold and the horse kicked him right off the side of the mesa.
Monsieur Lingood flew right off that mesa, bucked from his stallion like a ragdoll, fell off the highland's steepest edge, down to a dusty desert death. And good riddance. It's due to the mayor that I have these sores from those goddamn show loafers. A bit quieter now. Call me Craven, but what with all the bloody theatrics and projectile drama, I was not ready to confront the otherworldly woman or her companion of misfortune. I needed more information. What is their mission? What is this strange obelisk? I tucked Sonny beneath my jacket flap to muffle its noise and lowered to the mesa's floor, spying the couple from afar. what to do a, a hospital no 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 fuck he didn't answer why w why was he shooting with his eyes closed it, it, it made no sense I, I didn't know what to do jesse's eyes fluttered open and then shut blood was everywhere i put my hands over the stomach wound but i, I didn't i couldn't do anything Tower isn't important right now, Coda. He's literally bleeding out. I still don't know if the towers are from you, Mom. I, I, I don't know, but in that moment, I needed a miracle. A huge fucking goddess-sized miracle. Everything depended on that tower being exactly what I needed it to be. Shit. Okay. Okay, we have no other option. I had no idea what I was doing, but it's all that I knew to do. I ran to the tower. My hands were completely soaked in Jesse's blood. It dripped off my fingertips. There was no door to the tower, but I could feel it. My power. It radiated off the tower like it was heat coming off a machine. I pushed my hands against the surface, the smooth black reflecting nothing at all, not even the sunlight. and. I closed my eyes. I could feel it grow hotter, burning my hands. Come on, do something! The blood on my hands turned brown from the heat, then white from the divine. It hurt. The shoulder where I was shot fucking hurt. It all hurt. Then it stopped. The burning on my hands. The heat from the tower. But not the pain in my shoulder. The hollow feeling in my body. The absence of my godly powers. That remained too. No. It didn't work. Wait. 
No. What? How? No, 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 no. This can't be happening. I assumed the worst. I mean, for Jesse, it was the best. But he didn't know. He had no idea, and neither did I. Not until I ran over to him and tore his shirt wide open. No. Hey, what this the fuck are you- can't be happening. It's- it's gone. This. Hello, McFly. Not the hole in your chest. My immortality. You stole it. It's a long story that I don't feel like going through right now, but... Okay, okay, so I, I was banished here by my stupid ex, and I, I thought the tower would give me back my essence, but it didn't. It gave it to you. I, I don't know how or why, but it means you're fucking back from the dead forever, and my shoulder is still fucking bleeding, and, and this hurts like a bitch. Do humans always feel this- You're joking again. Or, no. I'm just dead. I'm dead. And you're some sort of thing I'm seeing. That's what's happening. I grabbed his hand and pressed it against his chest. His heart was racing, beating like it was supposed to. I could feel the same divine heat from the tower coming off his skin into our hands. No more than a hot breath of air. That's mine. That's me. But it's like... You only have a part of me? My divinity. Maybe... Hold on. Your what? I got up and went back over to the tower. I put my hands back on it, but the surface had gone cold. It was empty, too. That was it. Just one power. That's all we were getting. Or... I guess that's all Jesse was getting. Not my favorite one, but... It's the big one that separates gods from mortals. This can't be it! Where are the rest? Oh, I, I can't be trapped here forever. I, I, don't, I don't even know where else to look. Well, take whatever it is back. I don't want or need it. You think if I knew how, I wouldn't snatch it right out of you right here, right now? I can't. Not unless I have all of the fracture parts of me back inside of me, and that's still a hard maybe. Fractured parts? Writing a poem or something? Whatever. Let's get them, and then you can go. Are you not listening? I don't know where the rest of me is. I was lucky to even find this tower. Ugh. As a child in the Utah Territory, I'd heard stories of God work and devil work. I'd been educated in the distinguishing factors. That which destroys is devil work, and that which heals is God work. Man can neither create nor destroy, not in any meaningful way. Mankind bores. Men flop around and then die. There was the obelisk, and that man who I saw dying, Jesse, it seems, I, I watched the rows of blood bloom across his chest, but then breath returned to him. So is this all an act of God work or 
devil work. Where do we stand? That's all I could do at that moment. I, I stood up. I'd seen something miraculous. Just like when the bullet froze before my face. As soon as I emerged from my crouch, walking onto the mesa's dusty flat top, the otherworldly woman turned to me. In her face, recognition. And then the revenant cowboy, too. He turned to me. Now, if I were in any less position, I might have established a more veiled character, shape-shifted into something further from my truth. But I had Mr. Osgood, who sufficed. I had the leveraging power. And so, I approached them. <coughs> Good evening to you both. My name is Charles Osgood. You might recognize me from the um, former Mayor's Descent, so to say. <laughs> yes, an odd time to be so formal. No doubt you agree by the looks on your faces. No worries. I mean, no harm. <laughs> the cowboy glared at me with suspicion while the woman, Helix, I'd heard the man call her, she stared at the Sony machine in my hand. That Walkman. That thing you're hiding beneath your coat. I saw it earlier. Across the room, it, it mentioned the tower. I thought I recognized it too, because that's definitely- A Sony machine, of course. Or at least that's what I- uh... No, don't interrupt me. That's a TCM model. But I haven't seen this one. Where'd you get it? By the fury in her face, I knew that I should conceal my source. <laughs> well, I wish I could say, but I have truly no idea. I'm a contract cartographer, you see, employed by the federal government. Uh, Cleveland himself picked me out. Yes, yes indeed. I've been sent from the Commonwealth to do some field work, especially what with these discussions of Utah's statehood and- The president gave you that Walkman? The what? Oh, the Sony machine! No, no, no. I found this on a bench. Did he just say a bench? He did. Not my best untruth? But what else could I say? It's an otherworldly device? And had I pointed the finger at any one person or place, it seemed that this helix would hunt it down. Well, I need it. So give it here. Oh, um... Well, we're both headed that way, yes. Perhaps I can hold on to this, as I've grown fond of it. And I do know the land quite well. See, I spent many years in the Utah Territory, and- We're fine. Nate here is well-traveled. Now give that here. You are Nate. And here I thought you were Jesse. To describe how they then leered at me is to describe how a wolf might stare down a rabbit after the rabbit had smacked the wolf upside the jaw. But I'd caught them in a moment of ruse, and now that our terms of engagement were equal, 
I had a chance. I apologize. It's no matter these names. We are strangers. But we are strangers who can help one another. Mr. Jesse or Mr. Nate, whichever you choose, you may have knowledge of the West. But I have mm, affordances of privilege that you will no doubt need. I have friends in high places, whereas you two, perhaps, can cover the more lowly places of camaraderie. Yes? You see? Untangle the end. Are you saying you know something about these towers? No, no. What I'm saying is I'm the sort of person who could know something about these towers, given the time and some opportunity to... It's a yes or no question. Second tower? tower? You see, madam? How does it know? I couldn't tell you, only that this companion of mine has guided me here, and surely it will guide us to the next of its kind. Yes? Could just take it from him. This guy seems desperate to help, and my shoulder is fucking killing me, so whatever. It was not the most enthusiastic welcoming, but it was where things were. And now I am here, in this lone flat inn, sat on the edge of this bed, speaking into this TCM, Helix had said. Sony machine is much more exciting, however. Don't you think? <coughs> After our journey down the mesa, listening to Helix and Jesse discuss their next day's plans, I've made some estimations. It seems that both of them are seeking someone. Perhaps that puts me one step ahead, as I've already found my target. But Mr. Jesse seems to be looking for more than one person. <coughs> oh, but we had an errands run of an evening. First, we took the mayor's troubled daughter to the Bordello's forewoman, Miss Marigold. She intends to make some connections in Albuquerque, where the girl will go to live with a proper family. No doubt a better life than that decrepit closet Helix and Jesse spoke of. As for the mayor, who will be Lone Flat's next mayor? <laughs> who cares? Jesse had made mention of some necklace he sought to collect, but decided that he would leave it for the daughter. Well, the decent daughter, not that accursed thing that played the piano. And Helix, well, she seemed to stew inside her mind. She seems intent on chasing down this second tower. Could this have been the Mistress of Death's plan all along? To gather us three to... Oh my gods. Uh, uh, uh. Could you please stop saying that? It's so, like... Creepy. Madam? I'm doing as you said. I'm, re I'm recording into the... Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. But, like, gag me. Just call me Emmy. That's my name. 
like mistress of death that's somebody else's job i'm leagues above that and anyways if i were you which like ugh, thank god's not right i'd quit pissing people off i'm keeping you alive but remember a, a bullet's still a bullet you know emmy yes i apologize how long have you been listening in? I feel so embarrassed. Ugh, I Long enough. Look, Charles. You're still using Charles? Anyways, you keep it up. Things are moving nicely. Just like, don't lose sight of Helix. I mean, it's hard to. She's loud. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Um anything especially what with your protections helping me with this you know it's gonna be a long road charles time to stop acting like we're strangers <laughs> time i'm honestly like so clever and she's gone Tomorrow, northwest, toward this second tower, whatever it may bring. And what shall it bring? In this new world that's dawned upon me, truly, who could know? Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidal-Rosaga and J.T. Lachese, and produced by Anne Hughes, starring Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Griffin Otto Deniger as Kitchen Head Cook and Mayor Orville Lingood, Ivory Amor Di Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Jay Duong as Helix, Daniel Sotelo as Coda, and Anne Hughes as The Sunny Machine and Emmy. This episode was written by Fernanda and JT, directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and music by Samuel Kinsella. A special thanks goes out to Madeline Haller for giving us pointers on that Kansan accent, and to Professor Rickerby Hines for being such a guiding light during the early days of our show. You can find us online at RadioOutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at RadioOutcastPod and Twitter at Radio underscore Outcast. If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. It helps us reach more listeners and it gives us a chance to see what y'all think of the show. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. Our patrons get access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including newspaper clips of an assassination attempt on President Cleveland and text messages between the gods. If you become a patron at the Coda tier, for as little as... $1 a month, you too could get a special shout-out at the end of our episodes, such as... Kyrie O, how are ya? Stephanie C, you rule. Gnome H, I dig the name. 
I think it's pretty cool. Patrick C, miss ya. Alan L, you're swell. Daniel W, I think you're talented as hell. Tuvi, my bestie. Melissa L, hey mom. Sarah F, your poetry is like totally the bomb. And Rax W, the orb keeper. Marcos L, my dear. Patricia D, you're golden, and that's something you should hear. BCA staging, howdy. Val V, the queen. DJ, I wore your jacket like two days ago. The one that's beige cream. One P, you're super. <laughs> Andy S, it's been a while. Aaron B, you've got the stuff that makes a whole room smile. And we have two more. <laughs> Physics, thanks bro. Susan D, hello. And this concludes the credits for our happy little show. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. And to everyone listening, safe travels. <laughs> <laughs>